0: Hello everyone, this is Rohit with the New York Organ Donation Awareness Corporation and today we have an interview of David Weil by one of our community relations fellows, Edwin Wong. Now David Weil was actually a professor at Stanford University and he's also the author of the book Exhale. So let's just
1: get right into the interview. ODAK is the Organ Donation Awareness Corporation in which we reside in New York and we try to enlighten uh, high school youths about organ donation, how they can help. And Got it. Uh, for my uh, part, I'm a community community relation fellow in which I try to get interviews uh, and get the information and spread them out to our okay. social media and our website. So with the first question, uh, how are you involved with the organ donation field?
0: So I've been an advocate for a long time uh, in the lung transplant arena for almost 30 years now. And now how I get involved is actually speaking at schools um, about the importance of organ donation. And I also work with companies that are trying to make the organ distribution system more equitable.
1: And when you talk about schools, are you talking about like high schools or middle schools?
0: Uh, High schools, mostly.
1: That sounds like our job too. Uh, We also have a lecture uh, department where they lecture for uh, high schools and we've done a couple so far. Well, because of COVID, it's been a little bit uh, laid back yeah. and what is your, I saw that you were a transplant specialist. So what was your daily routine?
0: So I ran the uh, lung transplant program at Stanford for many years. So I saw patients that both needed a lung transplant and those that are already gotten a lung transplant. So we took care of several hundred patients like that uh, every year and i was also involved in interacting with the organ procurement organizations and i served in uh, on various UNOS committees as well in a variety of capacities
1: and what drove you to this line of work
0: i i think the main thing was understanding how important it is for our waiting patients the people on the waiting list to have a chance one of the things that i write about in my book is how frustrating it is when we cannot even find organs in time for a patient to get a transplant. So they never even get the chance to make the transplant successful. And so one of the things that I've always preached is to make sure that we're using every organ that's out there.
1: And that's honestly amazing, because there's a lot of people who aren't organ donors, but like licensed ones. And that really decreases the amount of uh, chance for other recipients and talking about your uh you being an author what other books have you written about
0: so um i've got the one book out called exhale which is uh hope healing in a life and transplant it came out last may so it's been out you know 10 months or so and i'm working on a second book now that's also in the healthcare arena about some of the loss of humanity in healthcare
1: And where could we get these books, if one were to?
0: Yeah, the first book that's out is, you can go to my website if you'd like, which is David Weill, David, W-E-I-L-L-M-D.com, or my book's readily available in bookstores or at Amazon, wherever you buy books, essentially.
1: And how often would you say you interact with uh, patients and their families?
0: Every day. So every day during the course of my hospital-based career, and now... I serve as a sounding board for families that are going through the whole transplant process. So I I interact with families almost every day.
1: And what would something you would say often to them to ease their anxiety during the entire
0: process? I, th- I think that th- they want to know that we're doing everything we can to find an organ in time for them and that we're doing everything we can to stack the deck in their favor. So the patients have to trust us and the trust is earned, you know, and I think that one thing that I've tried to do during the course of my career is let patients and their families know how committed I am to trying to help them.
1: Mm-hmm. And what would you say is the best thing that has happened to you? Well,
0: in this line of work, lots of good things. I I think that, you know, mostly we were able to return people to the life that they wanted. So whether it's playing golf, going back to work, chasing grandkids, being, you know, a better wife or husband, you name it, uh, patients you know, all they really want is to get their life back. They've had it taken away by their disease, but they just want it back. And that's what's great about transplanting is it gets you that life back.
1: And have you ever worked with like, like the youth, like the little kids?
0: Yeah. So we transplanted um, kids all the way down to about age 10 or 11. uh, I think are the youngest people that I worked with, but transplanted a lot of teenagers over the course of my career.
1: And how did you help like cope? How how did you help them cope with the like their confusion and everything that's happening with them?
0: Just try to speak plainly to them, you know, don't use a lot of medical jargon and just speak as plainly as possible and let them know that you understand that they're scared and that they should be and that that's a perfectly reasonable emotion, but that we were here to make sure that they got through it okay and that they were gonna be safe. I think kids especially, even more so than adults, wanna to, want to know that they're gonna be safe. That's amazing, thank you for all you do.
1: And uh, I saw that you were also a professor uh, at Stanford, is
0: that correct? I was, I left Stanford in 2016. I was the uh, director of the Center for Advanced Lung Disease and the Lung Transplant Program, but left in 2016.
1: And were you an actual like lecturer for for the,
0: uh, Stanford? Yeah, most of my teaching was not in the classroom. I did some classroom teaching, but most of it was at the bedside to uh, medical students and residents and people that were interested in going into lung transplant. That's where I did most of my teaching.
1: And when you did go to those lectures, what did you often talk about? You,
0: you know, l- lung transplantation, some of the diseases that led a person to need a lung transplant. I talked a lot about the process of how you get a transplant. So those were the main things that I touched on.
1: And was there a particular reason why you did lung uh, transplant instead of like any others like kidney?
0: I, I got interested in transplant through kidney transplant. I write about that in my book a little bit, but when I chose a specialty, I wanted to be a lung doctor. My dad was a lung doctor and I, I followed in his footsteps and I wanted to go into pulmonary medicine. And at that time, this was back in the early 90s, lung transplant was just becoming a thing. And so I I, uh, was at the right place at the right time. So I found my new specialty.
1: That's amazing. And your father, did you say he was a a lung doctor? Like, was he a surgeon or
0: was he just... No, he was a researcher mostly. So he didn't see patients toward the second half of his career, but he mainly did medical scientific research. And so he was a different kind of doctor than I was, but he was still in the lung arena like I was.
1: And do you have any kids?
0: I do. I have two daughters, one in college and one in high school.
1: And are they also thinking about doing field of medicine?
0: They're not. uh, They're taking a different path altogether, um, which is, you know, sometimes happens. But it uh, I don't think they're going to either one of them is going to go into medicine.
1: Doesn't matter as long as they're doing something they love, yeah. And before you entered this field of organ donation, I know it might sound a rhetorical or whatnot, but were you a registered organ donor before?
0: Yes, yeah, I have been. We we um we talked a lot about it. Um, somebody that we knew uh in high school passed away and became an organ donor, and so my family talked about it quite a bit. So we're all um organ donors, and you know, I I'm sure the message you try to get out is to make sure you tell your family what you want to do in terms of donation, because that's really important.
1: Yeah. And especially if you don't become a registered, at least your parents and your family understand what you want to do if you don't sign up.
0: Yes, that's exactly right.
1: And what do you do in your leisure time?
0: Um, I, I exercise uh, quite a bit. I ride my bike a lot. I. Um, I uh, was especially an avid cyclist when I was out in um, California. And, um, uh, these days I'm taking it a little easier on the exercise. So I picked up tennis, which is, which is good. Um, but I also love, I love sports of any kind. Um, so I pay a lot of attention to that and, you know, having two daughters and, um, keeps me busy as well. So I spend a lot of time uh, with, with them, which is great.
1: And have you done any like marathons relating to like organ donation awareness?
0: I haven't done any marathons. I ran, I actually ran a marathon, um, 25 years ago probably, but no, I haven't done anything like that with regard to organ donation.
1: And have you done any other like volunteering, like uh, standing at booths and like talk about like what you do and what organ donation can do for someone?
0: Yeah. Most of my, most of my time in the organ donor arena, involved talking in front of groups about the importance of it so uh, i would go to a lot of schools especially when i was in california and also talk to various um patient advocacy groups about organ donation (laughs) so that was most of how i volunteered my time
1: and since you're talking about california since you said when you were there where are you now
0: i live in new orleans now i i have a, a transplant related consulting business that um, is based in New Orleans. We work from coast to coast, from the East coast to the West coast, but I'm from New Orleans and I moved back from California there. I was gone for 27 years or so, and I moved back uh, about five years ago.
1: And with this consulting group, how many staff and members are in that?
0: We have six in total.
1: Okay. do you think about like expanding more and like expanding towards different states?
0: Yeah, we, we've worked really from coast to coast. So we're, we're we're actually working with transplant programs across the country. And I think we're about adequately staffed right now the the pandemic was a little tricky just because of the fluctuations in healthcare and so forth. But I think we're about, you know, well staffed right now. And I also spend a lot of my own time writing, as I mentioned, um, not only my book that's out, um, a second book, and I write uh, op-eds for newspapers at times.
1: And like along with the COVID scenario, like how does that affect the work?
0: It, it affects it a lot because, you know, the hospitals that I work with are very focused on the COVID issues. So sometimes they don't focus quite as well on the transplant related issues. So, you know, it's it's difficult in the midst of a pandemic to keep your eye on all the moving parts of a hospital. So that's the challenge right now, I think.
1: And how many patients have you seen, like, been worried about COVID, like, especially for lung transplants?
0: Yeah, I, it's, it's a bad disease. COVID can really... Wreak havoc on a new lung transplant recipient. So we've done everything we can to try to get those patients vaccinated before they get the transplant, and that's gone pretty well by and large. And do they get like a
1: specific different vaccine, or do they have, do they get the ones that we get, like Pfizer and
0: Moderna? They get the same ones that we get. Um, we just ask that they get vaccinated before they get on the waiting list uh, to make sure that they develop a, an immune response that's appropriate and so forth. Mm-hmm.
1: Because uh, the reason why I asked that because I had uh, another person I interviewed, uh, they had their kid into a different trial for a different vaccine, and um, so far they've been doing well with it. I believe I'm not sure if it was a COVID vaccine or just the vaccine in general, but um, I was just wondering if that was something different with the tra- uh, lung transplant that you had.
0: No, it's a, it's the same vaccine. They they actually get more end up getting more doses. I think they're up to four and maybe five doses in. Um, so they're going to need more doses to mount in a proper immune response. And
1: have any of your patients like gotten to COVID and was still needing the transplant?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's patients that have gotten it before they've been transplanted. There's patients that have gotten it after they've been transplanted. It's a, it's a, it's a tough disease for people that
1: already have lung problems. And generally how are they doing now?
0: Um, a little bit better than at the beginning, I would say, but still the, the patients that have received a lung transplant that are immunosuppressed have a tough time, you know, fighting off the infection. So it's an important problem for lung recipients.
1: And what would you say to high school youth about being a registered donor?
0: I would I would try to um, put themselves in the shoes of somebody waiting for a transplant. So there's 110,000 people approximately waiting for an organ transplant and 17 will die every day waiting. So they have to put themselves in their shoes, those people that are waiting. And I think it's also important to know that one organ donor can save eight lives. And you know, it, it, it's a way to make a real impact um, if tragedy strikes. And I think that the important thing is to try to think of beyond yourself, you know, and that's hard for all of us to do, but especially hard for younger people.
1: And what facts about organ donation would you like to share to like the youth or just in general?
0: I I think those waiting statistics are important. I think, you know, just to understand that 110,000 people waiting is a lot of people that are waiting and 17 dying every day. That's a lot of people, you know, uh, they have families as well. And I would encourage them to try to you know, keep that in mind when they sign up to be an organ donor.
1: It's totally understandable. And other than doing the second book, what other projects are you like looking forward to?
0: Yeah, I, I you know I work with the transplant programs, but I also work with companies, private companies that are interested in figuring out ways to treat lung disease and make organ donation more efficient and distribute the organs that we do have more efficiently. So I enjoy that part of it as well, because I think some of these private companies are coming up with great ideas.
1: And that is all the questions I have. Thank you so much for coming here and
0: answering these questions. Thank and you. I just do want to say one thing. I do love the stairs in the background. You have. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And, uh,
1: if you don't have any other questions, that is all.
0: That's it. That's all I have and, today. Uh,
1: and also forget, uh, what, do you have any social media that we can tag you on?
0: Sure. We- I'm, I'm on um, Twitter and Facebook and IG and um, LinkedIn, especially. I guess I'm active. You your
1: first and last name, correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, great. Uh, so, yeah, once we finish this up, uh, it may take a while for it to be uh, public. But uh, once it is, I will let you know. And you can have it and share it with people. And you can
0: just add okay. it. Okay, yeah, Thank that sounds so great. All right, so good to meet you. Thanks. You Take care. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. All right, that's all we have for today. You can follow David Weil on Twitter at, at David md and stay tuned to our podcast for the next interview. Goodbye.